Call the roll, call the roll, call the roll, call the roll, call the roll of the Justice League of America. Superman! Here! Aquaman! Here! Wonder Woman! Here! Flash! Here! Metamorpho! Here! Plastic Man! Here! And Batman! Here! Yeah, here they come. Hey, look out, jump into Justice League. The Justice League Superheroes all always on the ball It's the Justice League The Justice League Takes big trouble with a capital B A super colossal calamity A tremendous stupendous catastrophe To bring them all out swinging And when they're swinging, man, they're bringing Big trouble with a capital T For any suit up super enemy On Earth or in space or land or Hey, do they put on a show Anywhere the four winds blow When they get the call Watch them go The Justice League Yeah, the Justice League Hold the Justice League Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Momentous Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I am currently podcasting 22,300 miles in geosynchronous orbit from where you are. It's very exciting. Because I'm in a cave. That's crazy. <laughs> wow, <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> well, folks, if that isn't a hint enough for you and you didn't read it on your phone, yes, we are going to be discussing Justice League, but not just anything about Justice League. We're going to be discussing 100 of the greatest moments of the Justice League. Um, and specifically, a book by the amazing Bob Greenberger, which we're going to get into in just a second. But before we tell the folks at home any more, Rob, we need to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the Fire & Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, we would have loved to be able to promote Justice League uh, 100 Greatest Moments to you, but it's not on InStockTrades. There's lots of other places you can get that. So instead, we've got a couple other selections. Rob, what did you pick? Well, yes, since this is a Justice League-centric episode, I saw no need to reinvent the wheel. I'm uh, suggesting Justice League of America, the Silver Age trade paperback volume four. It's the uh, those Silver Age collections with new covers and new, uh, you know, like a graphic design on the front. This cover is by uh, the great Evan Doc Shaner, Ooh. and it features all the members flying out. A Hawkman, very Hawkman-centric cover, which is really cool. This collects Justice League of America numbers 31 through 41 by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. Uh, I haven't done the, the math, but I'm betting just in those 10 issues alone, the JLA visits 1,000 different planets. The normal, <laughs> uh, normal price is $24.99. In-stock trades price is $14.49. That is $42 percent off all full of jla silver age goodness and featuring a wonderful new cover you know that my pick um actually surprised myself because going through this book well i did why did i pick that i can't believe i did that when i think justice league you know my heart immediately goes to the firestorm issues right or the justice league detroit issues or the justice league international issues those are the ones i sort of like live in you know but going through this book oh my gosh it reminded me how amazing those early grant morrison howard porter issues are 
I, it's not that I'd forgotten. I just hadn't really taken the time to think a lot about them. And going through this book, I just page after page, a gorgeous page of, you know, they did reprinting all the pages from the books and everything and just great moments. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it got me really energized for that. So my pick is JLA Trade Paperback Volume 1, which collects uh, the original JLA run by, uh, again, Morrison and Porter, issues 1 through 9 and JLA Secret Files number 1. You know, it's the Magnificent Seven, guys. And they do – Morrison does a fantastic job. He really brought his A game and made the Justice League uh, in, in the traditional, you know, quote-unquote super friends kind of members important again. And it's so good. And flipping through here, I, I'd forgotten how much I love it. So uh, it's 256 pages. You can get it on in-stock trades right now for only $11.59, which is dirt cheap. That's 42% off. It's normally $19.99. If you haven't read these things in years – Pick up the trade. You will not. Uh, you will not regret it. It's such great stuff. So, for these and your other collected editions, please visit InStockTrades.com. All right, Rob. So, as we said, we've got this giant, giant book in our hands: Justice League 100 Greatest Moments, highlights from the history of the world's greatest superheroes by Robert Greenberger. And you hear that, folks? Gorgeous, beautiful hardcover. What is this? 300 and some odd pages. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah. And. Uh, Beautiful book. And Rob, you've got something special here with this, right? Well, I do. We have to give a little bit of history of how we, we came to get this book. A couple of weeks ago, we got an email from one of the editors at Chartwell Books, who is the publisher of this book. And he asked us, uh, would Shag and I be interested in reviewing this book by Robert Greenberger on our show? And when I got the email, I was not familiar with this book at all. I didn't know what it was. And I was like, well... You know, somebody wants to send me a Justice League book for free. I'm not going to turn that down. So what the hell? And of course, you know, Robert Greenberger, Bob Greenberger is somebody that, you know, to to many comic fans of multiple generations, he's one of those names, you know, because you've seen him in 40 billion different comic books. His name is all over who's who. He's been a friend uh, to me over the past couple of years. Um, every time we have some sort of question with something related to what Bob has worked on in DC, he's always generous with his time and, and offers to answer my nerdlinger questions so I can talk <laughs> about it here on the show. So I was like, yeah, sure, send us the book. I I will say I had no idea what the book was about. I just knew what the title was, and I didn't even bother to look it up. I was just like, okay, just send it to me, and I'm interested to see what it is. And and then I got the book, and first of all, as Shag uh, made the sounds there uh, by banging on the table or on his head or whatever the hell he did there, <laughs> um, it's a beautiful hardcover, like graphic album type thing. And the thing that impressed me the most about the book is that it's about Justice League, the comic book. It's not Justice League the concept, Justice League the movie. It's it's just a beautiful hardcover book about the comic. And as as um, you'll hear me talk momentarily about, like when I was growing up, that that stuff was never published. They didn't do hardcover books about comic books because the comic books weren't deemed worthy of that kind of attention. So I was I love the fact that this book is just about the comic books. And so. Um, the Chartwell sent me a copy. They spent the money to send a copy to the correctional institution that Chag is in, which yep. is that's not cheap. And then uh, we also arrange an interview with Bob Greenberger himself. And so in a few moments, you're going to hear my talk with Bob talking all about how this book came to be and his love of the Justice League. And, uh, of course, the aforementioned correctional facility explains exactly why I wasn't present for the interview. That's right. That's right. you. You only have you only have like fifteen minutes of phone time per day, and we couldn't use it up on the interview. So, uh, do we just want to get right to the interview? I mean, I think anybody wants to hear us babble. They want to hear hear Bob. So, you want to get right to it? Take it away. Here's me talking to Bob Greenberger about Justice League: One Hundred Greatest Moments. 
All right, so as, as anyone who has listened to uh, more than two episodes of the Fire and Water podcast knows, Justice League of America was always my favorite comic growing up. I never missed it. Uh, whenever I had money and my meager allowance could, could buy me some comics, Justice League was always the first book that I purchased. I never missed an issue. And so, uh, you know, when you mentioned that this book was, was coming out, this uh, 100 Greatest Moments, I was like, wow, this is like a coffee table book about the Justice League. It's kind of amazing. Uh, because, I mean, when I was a kid, I never had any idea any such book would ever exist, you know, that there would be such a thing like this. Um, but how did it come about? Honestly, uh, DC Comics uh, reached out to me and said uh, there's a project that fell into their lap that they thought I would be good for. And then they put me in touch with uh, well, Bob and she uh, and I got them to one another. It's going to be three books, 100 Greatest Moments, starting with the Justice League, followed with a volume dedicated to the superheroines, then one to the supervillains. And that's with an approach. I went back and, and then I needed to come up with the 100 Greatest Moments. Um, I certainly knew the ones that I, like you, on this stuff. There were things I knew I would want, but I'm just one guy. So my peer who happened to have written or edited or worked on, on the Justice League book over the years. So I, I reached out to Marv Wolfman and, and Jerry Conway, uh, Mark Wade, Bob Rizakis, Michael Yuri, Casey Carlson, uh, Steve Englehart. And I said, all right, guys, stuff you wrote, stuff you read. Get, you know, lay it on me. And uh, those who at the time uh, weighed in on it. And um, uh, I've got to say, Mark Wade and Kurt Busiek were very, very helpful. Mar Marv uh, was more of a cheerleader. Englehart and Conway, uh, it was great to get even, a you know, an idea or two from them because, you know, they did some seminal material. Sure, they sure did, uh, yeah. So they gave me their ideas, and then I had to figure out, and, and this is real. I was really working in a bit of a vacuum here. I, I didn't want to rank it. The single greatest Justice League moment. I, I I think that would have sparked a lot more debate, and I <laughs> wanted to make sure I touched on all the aspects of what it meant to be a part of the Justice League. So I knew I had to touch on the membership and the origin of the team and how the membership changed over time, how the origin story got retold as the realities changed, uh, the various headquarters had to be addressed. Uh, I wanted to then start breaking down the villains to make sure I had alien villains, occult villains, um, traditional supervillains, touch on the allies, because you can't do the Justice League without the JSA crossovers. There were other allies along the way. And then I figured then I would finalize, do 90 of those and finish the book with the 10 great battles. And I reached out to a number of uh, Facebook groups as well, and I got their feedback. And... I made a list and I organized it and uh, DC and uh, Chartwell signed off on it. And I spent uh, part of the summer and all of the fall of 2017 writing it. Uh, and then once DC weighed in uh, uh, with their comments, uh, I was turned over to a designer uh, who I worked with when uh, at DC back when I was in the collective editions department named Maria Cabardo. And fortunately, she and I had worked together, so we had a familiarity with one another, and there was a lot of back and forth about uh, the design approach. And uh, in the meantime, the staff were accommodating simply because um, previously they had done three with DC uh, called The War Years that Roy Thomas uh, curated and wrote introductory material for, uh, featuring Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman stories in three volumes. Uh, that did really, really well for them, so they wanted to do three more books, and they came up with this 100 Greatest Moments idea. Um, and Maria had designed those books. Stories is a lot different than moments. And uh, I have to say that 
a woman named Leanne Moreau was just incredible in learning how to deal with the DC files and deal with screen grabs I was able to find online to show her what I was looking for because you know and I know the book was originally Justice League of America, but there have been multiple titles with that name ever since, just like sure. there have been Justice League and Justice League International and Justice League Europe and all you know all the flavors. So she was driven more than a little crazy, and, and it was quite the learning curve for her, but she persevered and, and got it done. And uh, the results, I think, you know, you look at the book, it's a pretty pretty piece of work here. It's it's wonderful to see so much great artwork that I'm familiar with at in at, at this size, like the slightly larger size, and on the beautiful paper. And as you mentioned, it is a very beautiful looking book. I mean, I grew up with these things on newsprint, you know, and I love them seeing on newsprint. But seeing you know Dick Dillon and George Perez and all these uh, Mike Sikowski, all these wonderful artists, you talk about the the list that you compiled when you when you had it. Like, how much did you end up rejiggering it? Or was it sort of, once you had it, you were pretty happy with it? Or did it move around a lot? There were there were definitely changes that uh, were made along the way. Sometimes it had to do with the material availability. Because uh, as good as DC's uh, film archives are, they didn't have everything. Which is why uh, the one page from DC Superstars number 10, where the superheroes and the supervillains played baseball, was in black and white because they had no good color film. Oh, wow. I wondered but, why that was. But it was okay. too cool a story not to include. Um, you know, so I had it down. And um, I think the biggest changes had to be the amount of pages we allotted for some of the moments. Um, some of it, again, because of material availability or because Maria or the people at Chartwell said, oh, no, no, no this is really cool stuff. We got to blow this up. Uh, you know, give it more more space. Uh, I think once we got the 100 moments pretty much solidified, by the time I started writing, I don't recall changing any of the moments. You mentioned the other iterations of the Justice League in terms of the books. I mean, there was Europe and International, all this stuff. But like, was there was this book always, as far as you know, always meant to be just about the comic book? Because, of course, you know, there was just the movie last year. There was the filmation show. There was just League Unlimited. I mean, there's, the JLA has been in a lot of other mediums over the past 50 years. No, um, DC said it was the comic books. They didn't want to touch on any of the other media stuff. In fact, in the 100 Greatest Battles, I'm sorry, the 10 Greatest Battles at the end of the book, I actually had something uh, that echoed from um, Super Friends, a uh, Luther Brainiac uh, storyline that they asked me to cut. And that is one change because they wanted to keep it just to the comic books. And I said, OK, if that's going to be the case, then I want to keep it. And I, I decided this would affect all three books, that it was going to be the core canonical continuity for DC Comics. So I didn't want to go to uh, the Injustice storylines um, from the DC Digital Comics. I didn't want to do DC Bombshells. Uh, I guess the only kind of Elseworlds dipping I did was in to include include um, Marvel Battle from Kingdom Come, which involved all the superheroes, as well as images from JLA The Nail, just because Alan Davis did such a beautiful uh, depiction of what the satellite looked like. Yes, he did. We, I love that uh, that series. That, that, that is such a beautiful work by Alan Davis. I mean, it's like the, the JLA, you know, as you would want to see it, done by one of the great artists. Because he, I think it's the only chance he ever had really to do the Justice League. That's such a beautiful series. Yeah, you know, he would have been great on a run of that book, but, you know... Didn't happen. Yeah. When you were at DC, um, did you was was like working on that title, working on Justice League? Was that something that you aspired to, or other people aspired to? Was it? I mean, I in my mind, when I was a kid growing up, Justice League of America was DC's marquee title. 
And you it may not have seen that way within the halls of DC, but as a kid, it was like, well, these are all of the characters in one place. I mean, I'm guessing Action Comics or Superman was maybe more the marquee, but to me, Justice League was like DC's premier title. Was that something? Would was that well, when I got to DC in 1984, it was um, the Detroit era and. Jerry Conway had been on the book for, you know, dozens of issues by then. And I don't think the sales were what people had hoped for with the change of, of the status quo. Uh, I know Alan Gold, the editor at the time, was um, struggling to find ways to keep the book relevant. Uh, so when it was decided uh, via crisis that we'd wind down the Justice League book, give it a short rest and reintroduce it at a later date, um, it was probably for the best because I don't think anyone was satisfied with what that book was compared to what it could have been. Uh, uh, so when we started hearing what Andy Helfer was going to do with it when we were developing Legends in 1986, it was like, wow, this could be interesting. And it, and it turned out to be the right book at the right time, and it, and it caught the audience and, and became a thing. Uh, I got to say, as a editor, it would have been a book I would have been happy to work on. It was one I never campaigned for because it went well, once Andy started it, it was his baby, and, and that was that. Right. I mean, I think on the cover of the first issue of the new series, it even I think the tagline is even like a return to greatness for the Justice League, mm -hmm. which is – that's how it felt. I mean, it really felt like DC was saying, no, 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 this is our premier concept, and we're going to, you know, giving it a new coat of paint and stuff like that. And that's how it felt. I mean, I remember – and I've told the story on the show. I remember being, I guess I was like 15 or 16 when that book came out. And I remember asking my dad <laughs> to make a special trip on a Saturday to the mall to go to this Heroes World store to get it because I couldn't wait. I was so excited to get it. I mean, it was such a big no, deal. No, I totally was... get that. Uh, I have to say, when, when this first started, obviously a number of moments immediately popped into my mind. I believe the first two moments that occurred to me was Crisis on Earth 2 sure. and One Punch. <laughs> okay <laughs> that's i was going to ask you do you have any do you have any personal moments that didn't make the list for the book uh i would have liked to have um spent maybe a little more time um with some of the uh relationship stuff that uh Engelhart did in his run of the book as well as um, some of the flirtation that Christopher Priest added between uh, the King of the Seven Seas and the Amazon Princess. You know, moments like that, but they required a moment that didn't just quite fit. I imagine it's probably harder maybe to do – to pull stuff from more recent stories because stories are so much more continued now. I mean a lot of – of course, all the Gardner Fox and even some of the uh, Danny O'Neill and the Mike Friedrich, they're kind of one and dones or two and dones. And I think it's the, the mm -hmm. moments are a lot more condensed as opposed to what you're talking about. And later on where moments stretch on for six to eight months, you know, it's probably hard to distill it down to one particular moment that is like, oh, this is the moment that everybody remembers from this arc. Sure. I mean, you know, when Engelhart came on the on the book, he kicked everything off brilliantly with the Manhunter stuff. But then he had threads running right up until right, right. the end of his run. So it was the whole stuff with Mark Shaw and the Privateer and Hawk Girl becoming a member of the team finally, uh, the Red Tornado coming back, you know. And, and there were threads throughout that that were not great moments, but made for good stories. And that be, that definitely became a challenge. Do you have this perfect segue? Do you have what are your some of your favorite stories or issues from the series? Like just your personal favorites? You know. I started reading the Justice League um, when it was, I think, in its teens, and I still remember 
a kid down my block had JLA 22, which I couldn't find on the newsstand. And I had a no hell <laughs> crisis on earth Two ended. And I don't remember what he, he uh, held me up for to, to, to let me buy it from him or whatever. But I distinctly remember I had a narrow window between my dinner ending and Batman coming on TV and I had to have it. <laughs> so this was definitely after the book had come out and I finally found somebody who had it. Um, you know, so, you know, Crisis on Earth 2 was definitely, you know, one of the, the, the seminal stories for me. Um, I always was partial to uh, Gardner Fox's band. The name is Brother from Justice League of America number 57, which, which sure. had a nice uh, humanity story to it. Um, I thought Len's first three-parter when he came on the book was wonderful because it dealt with the legacy of the team plus bringing back the seven soldiers who I barely knew. You know, there's the one pinup Murphy did back in uh, one of the annuals. I think it was JLA 76. And I really didn't know who Law's Legionnaires or the seven soldiers of victory were. So it was kind of neat to see them come back. And then Jerry's jail again with him on it. And then, you know, uh, the, the early uh, given to Mattis McGuire stuff, you know, it's definitely the earlier stuff, stuff because it had, wasn't working on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I, I the, a lot of the, said, I, I mentioned is a lot of the great art is, is in this book, and it's nice, great artists from the JLA. It's nice to see it at this beautiful size. And I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, Dick Dillon, obviously, because Dick Dillon had one of the longest runs on, like, any comic book ever, I think. I mean, he went from, I think, 64 yeah. through, through 184, and he only missed one issue, which is just extraordinary. And one of the things that I, I always feel like a little sad about when it comes to Dick Dillon, and I've, again, this is something I've mentioned on the show, is you know he passed away in 1980. And it's George Perez took over for him, and it was, George Perez was already a fan favorite at that point. But I feel like Dick Dillon just missed being around for the mass of comic book fandom to really take off. You know what I mean? Like, it's like he never got to live to go oh, to absolutely. these conventions I mean, and, and really be celebrated as the guy that drew Justice League exactly. for over a decade. He would have been l- beloved at, you know, Heroes Con or uh, San Diego Comic Con. Uh, yeah, absolutely right. I mean, like, I don't think he ever sat down to do an interview with a fanzine. I, I don't think I've ever recalled seeing any kind of in-depth career piece with him. Right. Uh, yeah. He was definitely an under, understated guy. I mean, you know, you talk to the guys, see, especially when I got there in 84 and then people had worked with him. Um, they always talked about what a gentleman he was, how professional he was and how amazing it was. He managed pages of the Justice League month in and month out and not day late because he was drawing 17 people per page or something, you know, mm-hmm. um, how he was. And I think some of it has to do with the fact that, you know, he was the, he was n- not that he was taken for granted, but he was, he like, like Kurt Swan and Superman, he was just always there. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, when Dick Giordano inked him, it looked really sharp, less so when McLaughlin was doing it later on, uh, much as the way I think, uh, uh, Kurt's work suffered when Frank Giamonte was inking him. And so, uh, you know, it, it just became, it was there. It was the in, in month in and month out. And the newsstand reader, you know, was perfectly happy with it. And people just didn't glom onto it because it wasn't as sharp and fleshy and dynamic as the rising stars like George Perez was. Right. When I would see another DC comic that was drawn by Dick Dillon, I would be like, how? How did he do this? When did he have time to do this if he's doing Justice League? 
Well, that's just it. I mean, he managed, you know, the 17 or 18 pages of Justice League a month uh, when the stories were that length and somehow managed to do runs of DC Comics Presents and a story here and a story there. He was just a machine. I don't know how he did it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was master at uh, organizing his time, I guess. Um, I do want to ask you a couple of other favorite things. Like, what's your of the of the HQs? Like, do you have your favorite HQ? I mean, they they've changed a bunch over time, but I mean, it was pretty much just the Secret Sanctuary and then the satellite. But do you? I mean, you you were you mentioned when you grew up that you grew up more with the Secret Sanctuary. But do you have a favorite of the two? Um, you know, I thought the satellite was cool and all. Uh, Sanctuary, I never quite understood its layout and design until Amazing Comic, uh, Amazing World of DC Comics, uh, the in-house fanzine. Uh, published the schematic in issue 14, the Justice League issue that was based entirely on material Mark Grunewald developed. And I think he did those sketches. Um, there was like, oh, this makes sense. Now I understand where everything you know fits. Because back then it didn't matter to, to Gardner Fox where, where the bat plane and, and the invisible jet landed, you know? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, um, I was really happy. Uh, the issue when Hawkman joins, you, you have this rare shot which we included in the book of the sanctuary opening to admit a flying man, mm-hmm. you know, they've never quite seen it from that angle before or after. Um, so, you know, the sanctuary sanctuary was kind of cool. Satellite was high tech, kind of cooler. Uh, certainly more happened there. So, right. you know, do if you I have, had to pick the, between the two, it's the satellite. Do you have a uh, particular favorite villain or favorite villains, plural? You know, I get I, I could say that the Royal Flush Gang, but they were never the same Royal Flush Gang. They kept evolving over time, um, and they always became cannon fodder. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like Thunderball and the Wrecking Crew over at um, the, the Wrecker and, and the uh, crew over at Marvel, and they were all the same. You know, you need to pick up a story midstream or something. I thought Starbreaker by Friedrich was a really interesting character um, at the end of his run. Kanjaro uh, and uh, Despero were, were interesting, but I thought when they got amped up later on, got even more interesting. When you were there, um, one one of the things that that I remember as a kid that was kind of a big deal was um, there was issue one ninety one, which was the first issue of the series that didn't have Superman or Batman in it. It was it was like just Flash, Zatanna, Hawkman, Adam, and it like come the other some somewhat you know quote unquote lesser characters. And I think even in the letters page, they even kind of admitted that they're like, oh okay, this is we're kind of experimenting here a little bit. Uh, we're we're not doing one with one of our two marquee characters in here. And I think that's a particularly great issue. Like, do did I mean obviously you mentioned the the, the Troid era, which didn't quite connect with readers the way DC hoped it would. Do you feel like? The Justice League has to have Superman and Batman, even in this late stage. Like it has to have at least one of those two in it, or it's sort of not the Justice League. There, you know, the the tagline is the world's greatest superheroes. You got to have the Trinity, right? Okay. To to me, they're DC's heavy hitters. They're the front line. Uh, you know, to me, that means you need Green Lantern and the Flash and Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Uh, we could argue Adam and Hawkman. Well. Obviously, Aquaman and Martian Manhunter. But after that, you know, we could argue the the guys who came in later. Mm. But you got to have those heavy hitters. Do you find I mean, you as as a writer yourself, do you do you ever find like, do you feel like the idea? I mean, one of the things is that that, you know, when the Detroit era was brought in was that it was harder to write Justice League because you couldn't develop the characters because they were all going on in their other books. I mean, do you feel like is that something that 
I don't know. Do you feel like that's something that other writers nowadays don't seem to have that problem? Do you think what's what do you, in your opinion, like what's changed in comics that 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 doesn't seem to be a problem anymore? It's like a pendulum. Every now and then, there seems to be oh look, we're we're going to be really integrated and just these and the characters in the books will definitely reflect what's going on in their own books. And other times they're like off in their own world and you don't quite know where it all fits. Um, and when you're putting out the number of different justice league books that DC has been doing, uh, it gets harder and harder to make it all mesh neatly. So Batman's running a group of the justice league and now he's building the outsiders and he's got his own books where he's running around on his own. So I don't know how all that is supposed to fit. And I think DC is less concerned with that. Um, And I guess the Justice League books will tie in as needed. It certainly helps that uh, guys like, um, um, ah, I'm blanking, Scott, Scott Snyder and uh, Tom King, you know, Scott who had written Batman and now Tom who is writing Batman, but Scott's now writing Justice League. I know they talk. And I think it's great that, you know, these guys are this next generation of, of creators are definitely in communication with one another and riffing off each other and building off things with each other. So, you know, Tom King knows exactly where Dark Knight Metal fits into the Batman run. Not quite sure where it fits into the Justice League run, and I'm waiting to see how that plays out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, so you, know, you, you just have to go with what makes the best stories these days because it cannot all be neatly tied together. Um, and, you know, I think that at this point in time – it's got to be the, what are the best stories with these characters we can tell. And when, when they can dovetail, let it, that happen. And when they don't, they don't. Because, you know, I'm not sure how No Justice fits in with the, you know, the core titles of, of the uh, characters. Right. And I also assume that, that, that people nowadays are just much more comfortable with seeing multiple versions of characters. I mean, obviously, the, the movie version is completely different than the comic book version. And they're, you know, they're they're existing simultaneously. And then that's very different than the animated version or different than the Justice League Unlimited version. I think when I was a kid, I would have been a lot more I would have a lot more of a problem with the movie not reflecting the comic books more specifically. Uh, but now you're like, oh, it's well, OK. It's a completely think, different well, think thing about it. Just Justice League Unlimited didn't even necessarily reflect the comics, even though they had the same characters, because right. the depiction of John Stewart was different. And John was having a relationship with Hawkgirl, which was, you know, not in the comics. Um, but they were great. Those Justice League Unlimited um, animated shows were just wonderful stories and used the char- characters really well, but were adapted for another medium. You know, y- you could argue, you know, did the Arrowverse characters do a better job than the movieverse characters? You know, people are going to debate that endlessly. What did you uh, – well, the, with the Justice League movie, I mean, I don't know if they're going to do a second Justice League movie. I know that was the plan. Um, are there any particular characters from DC's – from the JLA history that you would love to see? Like in, if they did Justice League 2, do you, is, are you dying to see Hawkman on the big screen or somebody like that? I think, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously the, the characters I grew up on would be really interesting. I think the dynamic would be interesting to have a married couple there. Um, so Hawkman and Hawkwoman would be interesting, especially if they are the alien version or the reincarnated version. But the point is they're a couple. And how does that change the dynamic? in the group setting i think dealing with uh a character like the red tornado who is an android you know you know i i am absolutely convinced red tornado and the vision are just coincidental appearances near each other but Mm -hmm. both seeking the humanity because that's what was going on in fiction at the time 
uh, especially science fiction. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, and this is more just about you uh, being a DC fan, because obviously, uh, you know, the, the, uh, they could only get a real uh, big DC fan to write this book, write the Justice League book. Um, when you were a kid growing up or, or later on when you were an adult, you were working there, were there any characters? Was there a specific character you ever always wanted to see in the Justice League and they never they never did it or they haven't they, they didn't do it at least during the classic run? Was there anybody you always wanted to see part of the team? Wow, good question. Um, you know, it was interesting. Every now and then when a new character was added, they, you'd see a couple of pages of the characters debating who to add, like a Metamorpho or a Hawkman or, you know, I hear this Adam Strange guy is interesting. That was always kind of fun because it was Gardner's wink to the fans. That, you know, we are aware there were these other characters out there. And over time, you know, I got to see them join. So I saw Hawk girl join i saw the elongated man join uh you know so as a reader i i think i got most of that, that itch scratched uh when i was on staff it was different because uh i thought it was interesting to see dr fate working with the initial grouping of the justice league under giffen de and company i thought had he stayed around it would have been interesting to see that lord of order with all these chaotic characters around him uh but they wrote him off pretty quickly i i that's one I would like to have seen more of. I've always enjoyed that character. Okay, you would like to see Doctor. F- I could, see, yeah, I enjoyed him. Uh, I very much enjoyed him as part of the part of the Justice League. Well, uh, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to say about the book before it let people know exactly what it is so they can, you know, I mean, you know, it's a three hundred and four page uh, hardcover that's you know twenty five bucks, and uh, you can find it everywhere from Costco to Amazon. Uh, it came out July thirty first, so it's out there. You can find it now. I'm really looking forward to hearing people's feedback because I've only seen one or two reviews uh, online and the Goodreads. I get more feedback to see what did I what what did I get right? Is there a favorite cover or, or artist I missed? Uh, beyond that, uh, I'm really anxious to see how people feel about the superheroines book in the fall because uh, we didn't organize it the same way we decided to go by moments per character uh and there actually i think the superheroines book might be the most visually interesting of the three um just because i i had a larger grouping of artists to pick from over an 80 year span versus the 60 year span of the justice league considering that you know the first 25 years which run by two guys <laughs> you know and uh right now i'm i'm do i'm making final revisions to the text of the supervillains book and we're uh, making the final art choices there and that'll be out in the uh the spring of next year and again i hope i got it right i hope the feedback's good um i've definitely had a bit more back and forth with dc over the villains book than either of the previous ones so hopefully we got it right all right well that sounds awesome i look forward to seeing those other two books again let me said i I love all these giant hardcovers of all this DC stuff. When I was a kid, you know, ne- comic books were not considered worthy of this kind of permanence. You know, this sort of like beautiful editions. And now the stuff that I grew up on where everything was all on newsprint and cruddy and I had folded up and stored in my long boxes. And now seeing it in this deluxe format, it's, it's you know, it's like a delayed gratification. It's like, yeah, this stuff really was really awesome. Because, and here's the proof of it because now it's in a big hardcover flashy book. Well, you know, I'm old. And as a kid, <laughs> I was endlessly taking out of the library – the Jules Pfeiffer, the great comic book heroes book. And that was my introduction to, to the golden age material and seeing that on nice paper and oversized printing really left an imprint on me. And then 
There were the um, Superman from the 30s to the 80s, 70s and the Batman 30s to the 70s, which were, you know, again, eye opening to see some of this stuff. Uh, it was mostly black and white, but it was like, wow, I didn't, you know, didn't know these stories were, were there and, and to see Nelson Bridwell's commentary on it. You know, so there have been you know bits and pieces through the years. But now, I mean, to be a kid, to, to have all of this at my fingertips in different permutations from you know, digital editions to these, you know, gorgeous omnibuses to uh, compilations like like the hundred greatest moments. You know, there's just so many different ways to slice and dice this stuff to satisfy the interest. I mean, it's to have all this stuff at my available. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our regular program to bring you a special broadcast direct from the secret sanctuary of the Justice League of America. Addressing the council at this emergency meeting is Superman. Fellow members of the Justice League, the world is under attack at this very moment by the most powerful forces man has ever seen. Creatures from space, monsters from the depths of the earth, and criminals operating right within our cities, and they must be destroyed before they destroy the world. Operation Lifesaver is in effect as of right now. Are you ready? Yeah! Are you with it? Yeah! Okay, let's go. You know what to do. The whole world's watching and counting on you. And all you people listening out there, everybody, everywhere. Hang on! Hang on! Hang on! The Justice League is coming! Here we come, hey, look out, chum, it's the Justice League. The Justice League. Superheroes all always on the ball. It's the Justice League. The Justice League. There's big trouble with the capital B. A super colossal calamity. A tremendous, stupendous catastrophe. And here we come out swinging. And when we're swinging, man, we're bringing big trouble with the capital T for any super, super enemy on Earth or in space or land or sea. Hey, do we put on a show anywhere the four winds blow? When we get the call, watch us go. The Justice League, yeah, the Justice League. Oh, the Justice League, that's the Justice League. Rob, that was absolutely fantastic. Great job. So nice to hear Bob discussing his love for the Justice League. I really liked the way you went with some of those questions, just diving into, like, you know, what were some of your favorite characters and things you would like differently. Uh, that was awesome. Well done, sir. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. It's always, it's always great to talk to Bob. He's always been a, a friend of ours for a couple of years now. He has a story in my book, Hey, It's Comics. I mean, he's just a terrific guy. And I have to say, like, he's one of those guys whose name I saw in a, in a like, as I mentioned, like a million comics growing up. And I always dreamed of working at DC. Like, if I was a kid, you would say, what would be my number one job? I was like, I imagine you get to go to the DC offices every day. That would be an awesome job. I'm sure there are, there are some downsides to it. But as a kid, I loved it. And so Bob is one of those people when you see me, like, oh, man, I want to be that guy he gets right. to go to the dc offices every day walk around the halls and just be in dc comics so uh he's terrific and he did a great job on the book and so yeah it was it was great to talk to him and it was just also fun to just nerd out on the justice league because right. bob knows this stuff backwards and forwards like we do so that was just it was a lot of fun well i think he probably knows it backwards and forward better than us i mean he worked in it I and mean, he survived the yellow dot wallpaper I and mean, i mean the man <laughs> the man knows this his stuff <laughs> i imagine they had to hand out sunglasses to everybody at dc to burn out their retinas walking through those hallways 
days at the time. Right. Well, I have uh, spent a lot of time with this book. I've really enjoyed it. I mean, you, 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 you heaped a bunch of praise on the lavish art, and you're not wrong about that. I mean, everything from Sikowski to Perez to Patton to, you know, Porter to Benez to, you know, uh, I don't know. McGuire. Yeah, McGuire. Yeah, McGuire. And, and even the more recent, like, uh, I think it's Fabok, I think is the guy's name, who did mm-hmm. the Dark Side War. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Now, what I did was I went through and went through these hundred moments and kind of said, ooh, that's one of my favorites. And, ooh, that's one of my favorites. And I wrote down some. So that's kind of how I want to go through this. Do you do you want – how do you want what, to – what did you do, Rob? Did you do your homework? I did not do my homework. Of course I didn't. Um, I just want you to lay it on. I will say my favorite moment actually reading this book is, like, first of all, it came in the mail. I don't know how it was addressed to you other than, you know, Tallahassee State Correctional. I'm going to beat that right. joke into the, into the ground. Um, but it, when mine came, it actually said on, fire the, and water. on the Fire and Water Podcast Network on the box, which made me feel so official. That was, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But um, I took a picture and showed my wife. I'm oh, like, look, cool. look. I should, I should have done that. Jeez. Um, but what I loved is when you open the book and you get like the the you know the opening page the title page and then there's a front piece and the front piece which is the dedication and the 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 art that they use is the shot of the original seven justice leaguers by george perez from page three of justice league of america number 200 it is my of course you know the page number (laughs) it is my single favorite jla image of all time that shot of the seven of them looking young and so the fact that that was the image that they chose to use right as you open the book i i sat in my my chair over here and i was like i could crack the book open and i had my beverage and i just face to face with that image in beautiful bold color i was like Oh, we're off to a good start here because it's like literally the image I would have. Well, for me, I mean, that's exciting. But the page before the giant Darwin Cook spread of the Justice League sweeping from left to right along with their friends, you know, with Metamorpho also and Challengers of the Unknown and all their friends was that's just uh, breathtaking for me. I loved it. So, all right. Well, I'm just going to start rattling off some of my favorite moments here. All right. right? So we're going to start with just with moment number one right out of the gate because uh, the moment number one. And actually, it's a bit of a cheat because they do this throughout the book. JLA Year One gets a lot of moments in this book. It really, really does. And JLA Year One is one of my favorite Justice League stories of all time. Because I'm, you, you and I come at this a little differently. You have a huge passion for the Silver Age stuff. Me, not so much. So my passion really kicked in when I started reading the books. I started reading the books during the Detroit era. You know, say what you will about the Detroit era. You guys were right. It didn't do what they wanted for sales, but it did bring in this new reader. And I'm appreciative of that. So my passion is usually from that point forward. So when JLA Year One and they they retell the whole Apalexian sort of story, that's what I love. So do you... Do you have a pat? I mean, we talked about it a, a couple of years ago. JLA Year One. Is it something like? Do you hold that up as like one of the greatest, or is it? Oh, it's fine. Or I, I think it's fine. I think the um, you know I always I've said in, in on this show when we're talking about other projects, and I've said it on Film and Water and lots of other things about. There's two different ways you can judge any sort of piece of entertainment or any piece of art is like the conception and the execution. And, you know, sometimes you get one, not the other, that kind of thing. And I feel like that the execution of JLA Year One is great, but I can't get past the conception, which is the, the, it's the Justice League without Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. And, oh, and, and, and as, oh, stop it. And as Bob says, you got to have the, tr- the triad. You got to have the Trinity and the Justice League. So to me, I liked how JL, JLA Year One was 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 done, but to me, it's it's not the Justice League because it's it's you know it's these five and the other. Th- 
three big guns are missing. Well, okay, I, I see your point, but that's not JLA Year One's fault. That's the fault of the crisis, really. Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm not so. saying it's like I said. Mark Wade and Barry Kitson uh, did a great job on what they were handed. That's what okay. I'm saying. Fair enough. All right. Well, we'll just move off that one. But JLA Year <laughs> One, because it's so freaking good, gets referenced throughout this whole book in many different moments. So there. Um, moment number nine. Uh, I love this. It's called uh, The Team Reforms because it touches on several of my favorite eras. There's this, it starts off with this great two-page spread. Uh, again, re- as you said, reprint on the glossy paper. It's just gorgeous. It's John Byrne artwork from Legends of the Detroit League with Firestorm and Cosmic Boy. It's one of my favorite pages from the Legend series because it really makes Firestorm – I think you've commented before. It really makes Firestorm look like he belongs as part of the Detroit League. Absolutely. And, uh, when we did that Legends episode with uh, on the Bailey show, I, I mm-hmm. said how beautiful that image looked. And I was like, Firestorm belongs in this team again. He would have been a great addition to stay with the team. They could have used the power, that's for sure. That too. Um, now, within that same moment, number nine, because again, it's called the Team Reforms, they then, without leaving that moment, goes into Justice League International. You get the first issue, which is just Justice League. You get that great first page from issue number one with Guy, Guy, Guy Gardner sitting at the table, you know, declaring himself, you know, at least in his head, leader of the Justice League, which is great. It goes on, you get the one punch, and then at the end of the is the team reforms segment, you get one of my absolute favorites, favorite moments of Just League International, which is where they officially go international at the end of issue seven. They're standing there. They've got the United Nations logo behind them. You know, there are some, you know, Blue Beetles bowing. Booster Gold's going, no, 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 please, please hold the applause. You know, Max is clapping. It's the moment where that Justice League book, all, you know, for the first seven issues, we're all leading to this moment where it becomes international. And I love that moment. I'm getting chills. I love that moment so much. Uh, again, by McGuire. Wire, of course, it's, it's gorgeous. I love, I love on that that shot of Batman trying to look mysterious and shadowy <laughs> while he's standing on the stage of the UN. It's like Batman, yep. it's not going to work, buddy. <laughs> great job being an urban legend there in front of the yeah. United Nations. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great one. Then, then you jump forward to moment eleven, which is uh, it's called World's Greatest Superheroes. And the thing I love about this is something that you probably not one of your favorites. There's there's some great moments in here, but specifically. Uh, there was a storyline uh, called The Obsidian Age, uh, which was in the JLA book written by Joe Kelly, uh, which is where Aquaman is, what, thrown in the past right, and the Justice League right. go back in time to find him. And that's all fine and dandy. But the part I really like is in the present day where Bat- one of Batman's contingency plans kicks in and he assembles a new Justice League uh, from basically from remote, remote control because he's not even there. And it's Nightwing is the leader of the Justice League, which is – so freaking cool. You get Hawkgirl, Kendra. You know, she's pulled from the JSA over here. You get Green Arrow. You get Firestorm. You get Major Disaster, which is just crazy, a reformed villain. You get Jason Blood, Ray Palmer, and um, Faith. Faith was a new character. And it was this great idea to bring this team together, and it really was a very different I – mean, it could have been a Justice League Detroit moment because of all the kind of these unknowns, but it really worked well. And uh, I, I absolutely love that. That was about the tail end of where I stopped buying that book, and so I do remember liking that like idea of like the Alterna JLA. I thought that was mm-hmm. that was a neat idea, and the artwork is quite nice. I do want to mention right at the beginning of this book, one of my favorite moments is before mm-hmm. chapter one, the membership. It prints. It has a full page shot of the Justice League like membership certificate that oh, yeah, like, yeah. these members are supposed to fill out, which I really am seriously considering printing out and making all the members of the network sign. I don't know. I have to think about. It. <laughs> Wait a minute, the one that's oh here by Alex. Here by Alex, yeah. I think I think, I think to, to get everybody legally bi- bound to the network, I might make make everybody sign it. 
Okay. And good luck. You'll have to get that to the correctional facility to, to you know, and you know, I'm not allowed to have ballpoint pens, so but whatever. <laughs> Um, all right, moment 35. And this this is actually a uh, Aquaman sort of centric moment in a funny kind of way. It's again from the JLA run. Again, this this really reminded me how much I love that, J, you know, Morrison JLA run. Moment 35 is, I'm getting to it, is all about Quisp. You know, Quisp was this ridiculous... Uh, he, well, he was the fifth dimensional imp, basically for Aquaman. Yeah, right? I mean, you weren't you were nobody in the DCO unless you had your own interdimensional imp. I mean, yep. like Wonder Woman had uh, what the hell's the name of that? Uh, I forget the I name know. of that character. Wonder Woman had one. Batman had Batmite, of course. Superman had Mixes Pitalik. Uh, Aquaman had Quisp. Green Lantern had one. Flash had Mopey. I mean, Mopey. all the all the big characters had their own little annoying imps to. to to like pester them, so that was that was a that was a uh, rite of passage in Silver Age DC. Absolutely, and what Morrison did in uh, JLA, starting around issue thirty, was he did the storyline where he crossed over. For, it was the first time in the modern JLA where the JLA and the JSA crossed over, which was great. You get to see Wildcat and all those folks, and um, they basically said the all of these imps are all literally fifth dimensional imps from it's a. Mitzi's Pitalik's place, and Quisp had a dark side, and so the, the not dark side, but you know, a, a evil side, and so the villain of the piece is Quisp, and it was a great JSA crossover, it was so much fun, I absolutely love that storyline, and that introduced John, um, I, I, oh gosh, I can't, I can't remember who took over the Thunderbolt, I, Jakeem, is that his right, Jakeem Thunder, I think his name was? I think so. Um, so that, now, were you still around for that storyline? You would have been around for that storyline, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember that, too. Again, I, I appreciate the fact that it was, you know, taking a really obscure corner of Aqua history and <laughs> bringing it back, <laughs> out, back, back out the, for attention. I thought that was cool. Well, it was better than making Green Lantern's Itty the bad guy. That was Itty. That's, that was Green Lantern's thing. It was Itty. There like you a go. little starfish that sat on yep, his shoulder or something, yep, right? Yep, 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 yep. That's what it was. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, issue, I'm sorry, moment 58. Uh, this one touches my heart. Justice Society of America. They talk about the various crossovers. You know, of course, Crisis on Earth 1 and Crisis on Earth 2. It kicks it off. That's the big one. Uh, Bob talked about that as well. And that's a, that's a huge turning point in the JSA history. And it, and it goes on to too, though, it even talks further with, um, well, it gets into the Lightning Saga, which was um, uh, during the Brad Meltzer run of, uh, of JSA, or JLA and JSA, and, uh, but there's just so many good stuff with the JSA-JLA crossovers, some of my absolute favorites. I do love, again, I talk about it, the opening chapter, uh, which is all the membership-related stuff, and it has one page from every new member joining story back-to-back, which I appreciate it, because as I mentioned on previous episodes of the show, I loved all the membership-related issues, and it even has a page from Just League number 77, where they realize uh, that Snapper Carr is the little jerk that I always knew he was. (laughs) I appreciated that it's here in hardcover form. Now, see, I was trying not to be that guy, but now I'm going to have to. You, You know where I'm going here, right? Where you just talked about they have these, they have a page for each new member that joins, right? Like, oh, we're so glad you joined the team. We're so glad you joined the team. And, oh, wait, there's <laughs> no page from issue 178 or 179. 179, where Firestorm joins the team. In fact, there's just a little, uh, there's a little text thing later when you see Firestorm going, and by this point, Firestorm had joined the team. So I'm like, really? <laughs> really? But, okay. So I, I wasn't going to go there, but Alex, you made me. Alex Ross got the Bob Greenberger. <laughs> Curse you, Alex Ross. You ruin everything I love. Um, oh, so so the JSA moments. All right, so I was talking about those. I, I forgot to say it kicks off with 
uh, one of my favorite covers, which is from JSA number 54, and it is the uh, it's Chris Bacalo, uh, or no, Pacheco, I'm sorry, uh, Carlos Pacheco. I'll get any, any one of these names I'll just make up. And it's the JLA sitting down to Thanksgiving dinner with the JSA. I love that cover. Uh, it's a JSA issue. You know, Superman's sitting there, Power Girl's putting the, the turkey on the table. It's taken from the Norman Rockwell famous one of uh, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. So it's a, it's a great shot. All right. Uh, clearly, Rob doesn't know anything about Norman Rockwell, so we'll just move on. I'm unfamiliar uh, with him. Uh, other than the uh, the whole uh, you know Smithsonian article where I, I read that uh, I realized all the artwork was from you, so that was an awkward <laughs> moment. Uh, let's see, moment ninety four, which is Throne of Atlantis, sir. Big deal. Big yeah. deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, Bob said he ended it with you know some of the major storylines, and Throne of Atlantis was great. I mean, really. And, we, we've made no bones about it. We had a, we struggled with some of the new Fifty Two stuff, especially in the Justice League stuff when it first started. It didn't start the way we really would have cared for. And Throne of Atlantis was, I felt like, the first time in the Justice League comic where it finally said, "Okay, this is a Justice League I recognize. This is a comic that makes me feel like it's a Justice League comic." And uh, of course, it didn't hurt that it was Aquaman centric, but it was great. It was really exceptional. Uh, so I'm glad to recognize you. I'm going to jump in because I'm just going through my favorite moments too. On page 75, which is a, has a page from issue number 65, which is Operation Jail of Justice League. And it's where all the different members of the JLA have to dress up as Green Arrow. They're going undercover as Green Arrow. And this – I mean, look, everybody knows that Gardner Fox's dialogue, as good as he, – he was more of a plotter. Than a, di- than a dialogist because all of his characters spoke the same. Superman mm-hmm. sounded like Green Lantern, sounded like Wonder Woman, basically. And I really think that this page that they reprint, where it's all the heroes dressing up as Green Arrow, features the first time a Justice League comic featured a moment of self-awareness ever because you've got Aquaman on a turtle pretending to be Green Arrow, Superman with a spit curl pretending to be Green Arrow, Green Arrow with a power ring, Green Arrow floating through as mar- the air, the marshmallow, and then there's one shot of Wonder Woman dressed as Green Arrow, and she goes, no, I'll never get away with it. <laughs> it's quite literally the first time I think they kind of winked at the readers like, yeah, there are some slight different characteristics of Wonder Woman than from the rest of the members of the Justice League. <laughs> Uh, you could be and possibly the first cross-dressing in a Justice League comic as well. Maybe so. I have to go back and research that. That's right. Uh, and then moment ninety-nine uh, in the villains area, the uh, the the, the crimes crime syndicate of America. Absolutely. I mean, what a wonderful team, right? I mean, they're so good. And this is the in, in this is the first time they reference in the book also the um, my favorite, which is Crisis on Earth Prime. And because that you know that one you get the JSA, you get the All Star Squad, you get the crime syndicate. It's fantastic. Here you get lots of different moments with the crime syndicate you get some from the earth 2 with uh frank quietly you get some of the classic you know uh mike sikowski stuff here you get some of the kurt music ron garney stuff you get all kinds of different versions of them and that's absolutely wonderful bob, really mentioned, bob mentioned in the interview that he tried to stay away mostly from the elseworlds stories mm-hmm. uh, but there is some stuff here from jla the nail Yep. By Alan Davis. And look, um, I would never, ever in a million years trade Craig Hamilton uh, in for anything because that four issues he did on Aquaman is like some of my favorites. And Craig's a friend, and I have an original Craig Hamilton on my wall here. I'm looking at mm. it as I'm talking. But knowing that Alan Davis was the original artist for the Aquaman miniseries and then seeing how he draws Aquaman and Mira here, it just makes me cry that we oh, didn't yeah. get more of it because seeing Alan Davis stuff again. Oh, it's just, oh, God, it's just so bloody perfect. 
He's so good. He is so good. Uh, you know, when Chris and Cindy covered uh, the nail on their Supermates episode, you you guys were part of that, I think, too. Yes. I couldn't be there, and it just made me jealous because I that he his artwork on that comic is just is glorious. Yep. You know, I mean, you, you know, take a take a George Perez, uh, an Alan Davis, uh, uh, a Chuck Patton, and, and you know, those those are the those are the JLA man. That, that's who the JLA is. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about in this book are the well, I got some other stuff too, but there's the rosters at the end. I don't know if you spent any time. I I, I spent way too much time on these pages at the end. Oh, I Basically, figured that was that was like perfect for for like eleven year old Chad because it's all lists. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's, it's exactly like Rob said. It's just lists. It's team rosters. It tells you the character, their alter ego, Lincoln Superman, Kal El, or Clark Kent, and when they joined Brave and the Bold number twenty eight. And it lists everyone in the original era of Justice League. Then they list everyone in the Justice League Detroit, Justice League Europe, Antarctica, post zero hour. Then JLA, and then Justice League Elite. Uh, post crisis during fifty two, one year later, new fifty two rebirth. It just keeps going and going and going, and it's it is just hog heaven for me because you know, it's like I love lists, I love seeing the characters, I love seeing you know when they joined. It just makes me so happy. I spent a good few minutes trying to find Blue Devil in here. It took me a while. I'm like, oh, okay, there he is. They didn't miss him because uh, it's very specific about where he joined. And uh, oh yeah, uh, not only eleven year old Shag, but a uh, forty something year old Shag also loves him. <laughs> Do you have a particular favorite Justice League villain? Because there's a chapter here on just the villains like do you have a personal favorite um i i think it's is it a cheat to say crime syndicate is that a cheat? no why is it a why okay. is it a cheat because they fight well, they, it's that's, multiple yeah but, but they always but they fight the crime syndicate as a yeah. group it's not like it's just league versus Owlman. that'd be a quick fight right i well I, he wouldn't think that but uh yeah i think it's the crime syndicate uh, they're they've always been my favorite again it's i came to it during the uh, again the the Justice League Detroit era, but what got me there were the covers to Crisis on Earth Prime. Those covers on Crisis on Earth Prime with all the little faces around there, which included this Crime Syndicate, I was like, this is great. So I bought those as back issues, and then immediately picked up the new issue on the shelf. So that's how I came to the Justice League Detroit era. But um, the Crime Syndicate is just in, in, in burned in my brain as like the greatest JLA villains. We did a whole episode of Fire and Water on that five-parter way back, like with with Frank. I think yeah, was we, like we episode... foolishly tried to cover it one episode. That was yeah, episode. it was like we did episode fifteen or something. And I might have said this at the time. I probably did because I tend to repeat myself. But I bought those issues off the stands, and mm-hmm. I remember buying it like you know a book at a time, following it. And it was like the I would imagine it's the closest because it came out. It didn't come out weekly, but it came out like every other week because it was staggered. It was like Justice League, then All-Star Squadron, then Justice League, then All-Star right. Squadron, and then Justice League again. And it was probably the closest anyone my age will ever get to seeing a movie serial. Mm. You know, because it was just like these installments were coming faster than you expected. And it was just so exciting. Like, I just loved I loved it. I always liked the Crime Syndicate. I always thought they were fun characters. I liked it when the Justice League imprisons them. They imprison them in the in a little bubble for yep. life, and they will just spend eternity sitting in that bubble in their costumes. Like that just cracks me up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about what about you? Do you have a favorite JLA villain? You know, I always figure it it has more to do with the story than it necessarily the villain because like Starro, like I love Starro because it's just so silly. But then, <laughs> but then, but I mean, he's a giant starfish. He's a giant alien starfish. Oh, I noticed. <laughs> but but then you know that story that and they they print some pages in this book from a JLA 189 to 190, which is where Jerry Conway and those covers by Brian Bolland, they really turned, they, they make Starro into like a face hugger from the alien right. movies. Oh, and it yeah. really ramped it up. And so like, I just have such a 
affection for Starro because he just is like just a giant monster that the Justice League has to battle. And I really kind of enjoy that. I mean, there's a lot of great villains. They, they talk about Despero and Darkseid and Kendra Rowe and all these cool things and the Royal Flush Gang or whatever. But I don't know. I have a soft spot for, for Starro the Conqueror. It just to me, it's like it's just the distillation of everything I love about silly superhero comics. All right. So I'll throw one at you, too. Here we go. So if you take Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman, the Trinity off the table and Aquaman for obvious reasons, um, who does the Justice League absolutely need? Who, 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 without this character, you know, without one of the, the this other than those four, without this whatever character you're going to pick, who is the Justice League? Like, it's not a Justice League without this character. Who would you say? I always wanted Captain Marvel to be in the Justice League. I mean, I understand that with Superman there, like, what's the you know, it's kind of a duplication of powers, but who cares about that? I mean, I always wanted Hawk Girl in the Justice League, and so why not? Um, but yeah, yeah, to me, the Justice League are the DC primary characters, you know, I mean, I mean, you could argue red tornado really, but uh, <laughs> I mean, you need some for, you need some for seasoning, but for the most part, like I always, I always liked elongated man, but my argument has always been, should have been plastic man. Cause plastic man is like their marquee character. You got our own cartoon series that somewhere. Max Romero is smiling. Um, and but, I'm not. Yes, I know. And like, I actually would have enjoyed like Adam strange in the justice league. I can see why he can't be a member. Cause he only shows up like once every, <laughs> like eight years. Whatever the for, Zeta Beam is, you know. Yeah, right? whatever yeah. the Zeta Beam. He showed up more than Phantom Stranger, probably. But uh, no, I mean, for the most part, I really liked. I thought the team was con- well constructed. It was the, the mostly the marquee characters of DC's universe from the sixties, seventies, and then in the early eighties. So I would have liked to have seen Plastic Man, Shazam, maybe Captain Comet, just as kind of again like a nice seasoning sort of thing. But no, no, no. I thought they. Mostly the, the 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 team under Conway specifically was pretty much the team I always wanted. Well, that's a really nice answer to a question I didn't ask. Um, the, the question was which character, and maybe I didn't explain it. It's probably my fault. Uh, it's the cell bars. But um, what I was saying was like which character in the team already? Oh, I is, is a linchpin for you. Like is a must have. Uh, again, with that, with the exception of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman. I, I well, I would argue. Like, think all. I mean, Flash and Green Lantern have to be there. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily say. I I don't buy into that. Martian Manhunter is the linchpin because, good lord, he was not a member from seventy two through two twenty seven. I mean, they managed to go pretty long without him. Um, but no, I really think you kind of need that core of like Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Green Arrow, Black Canary, like those heroes like to me that's the team really you know if you're going to take the, okay. the big ones off the table it needs to be those people those are the those are the backbone of the dcu and they need to be there see i i, I take a different approach i do feel like uh i'm okay with flash and Greenlander not being on the team because i spent so many years reading various incarnations where they weren't on the team um and i don't have the same feelings as you because coming into it say around 1984-ish you know is when i came on board i guess so for me yeah it's it's actually marshall manhunter is is the backbone of the team for me or in his absence black canary those are the two that i feel like absolutely have to be on the team to make it the justice league okay fair enough that's just my take on it okay I see that. So now there were two moments in this book that I kind of wish were in there, you know, because it's personal to me. Obviously, you know, everyone has their own. These are Bob's favorite 100 moments, but for me, there's two other ones. Uh, one is this one's kind of a dead, you know, an obvious one um, for me at least. Justice League of America number 205, Professor Martin Stein versus Hector Hammond. Sure, sure. I I love that moment. 
probably not everybody else, but I do. The other one is, a, I think, genuinely a fantastic moment, and it kind of gets referenced in here, but not exactly. Uh, it's JLA, so the Grand Morrison era, number eight and nine, where Connor Hawk has to fight the key and defeats him just using his dad's, like, goofy trick arrows. Because by this point, you know, Ollie had gone to regular arrows and had died. And then uh, Connor takes over and he's using regular arrows. And Connor is stuck in the JLA satellite. It's just he, – and key, the key has already taken out all the other members. So it's just Connor fighting the key. And he's like, Dad, really? A boxing glove arrow? <laughs> and he's using that to fight the key. And he wins! Now, the key is referenced in here and Connor Hawk's referenced in here. But they don't explicitly mention that issue, that, that combination of issues. And uh, I just love it. Absolutely love that as issues. That's a fun story. That you, you, I didn't say it when you were doing the plug for Inside Trades, but like the 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 Grant Morrison, Howard Porter, John Dell JLA book really was. I mean, so many comics are sold as like a return to greatness when they bring back the core concept, but that that really was. That got me excited about reading Justice League again because it was it was shuffling off the kind of like C level characters that had populated the book at that point and bringing it back to the core group. So that was really fantastic. He, he just he had a way of writing an awesome superhero comic. It was really what it was. It was it was what it, what you expect from the big team. There wasn't as much interpersonal stuff. It was there's a world threatening thing and these are the folks who have to stop it. And uh, it did a great job of that. And they even start introducing some C level characters because Aztec joined the team. And yet the book was still compelling. It was exceptional. Yeah, it's so much fun, too, in this book, just seeing uh, George Perez's artwork in here, too, because for me, um, you know, I even, I guess, about the same time I was reading Justice League, I was reading Crisis and Infinite Earths, and that's what opened up the whole DC universe for me, was Crisis. And seeing Perez's artwork there, I mean, because Perez, to me, is the DC universe. That's how the DC universe is supposed to look, is George Perez, to me. So seeing Perez doing Justice League is always wonderful, and seeing it celebrated in the book here is great. As I mentioned to Bob, I was glad that Dick Dillon got so much, yep. you know, attention here because he deserves it. And I, you know, it was, it's such a shame that he died when he did because, you know, I think he just missed the fandom that really would have loved getting to talk to him. I mean, again, the guy drew the book for twelve straight years. I mean, imagine that, and missed one issue out of that entire run. So, right. uh, but it's so I'm happy to to, to see that uh, so much of his stuff is on here. I mean, his his artwork adorns the back cover, which is great. I love seeing mm-hmm. his artwork. Um, you mentioned what was missing for you. I would say the one piece that I wish had been in this book, and it was just I don't know. I mean, there's only so much. Even with this many pages, only so much you can get in. Is there's nothing from the uh, Liberty and Justice. Treasury comic by Alex Ross and Paul Dini of the Justice League. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that, to me, like, if they ever really were going to make, I mean, we live in a different universe now, but if they're ever going to make a Justice League movie, to me, that's the movie. Just make (laughs) that the movie. It's got all the scale that you need. It's got all the, it's got, but yet it has sort of a relatable sort of you know, earth level kind of ground level stuff for some of the the smaller characters and then you have this big alien threat it's it's great and it's one of my all-time favorite jla stories and so i wish they had that in here but that's a very small nip you know it's interesting they actually spend some time with the other jla treasury edition um I can't quite reach it. My, my cord is not long enough for my computer. Uh, it's Heaven's Ladder or something like that? Yes. The, yeah, the, one, the original one done by, uh, drawn by Paul Neary and uh, Brian Hitch. Uh, and, and written by Mark Wade. Mark right? Wade, yep, yep, yep. yep. They, they actually, that is one of the areas in here. So they, they do recognize the treasuries, just not yes. that one that yep. you're talking about. Yeah. 
So, well, it's a gorgeous book, uh, absolutely beautiful, and it's been a fun, you know, f- it's been fun flipping through it and just recelebrating some of my favorite moments. Yeah, I mean, it's just as I said to Bob, Justice League was my all-time favorite comic growing up. It was always the first book to be bought with my meager allowance. I only got about a thousand dollars a month, so I really had to budget. <laughs> and uh, you know, and like I said, it, it was just. I'm so happy that this stuff that I loved in my childhood is being given this kind of treatment because I think just even a couple of years ago, this wouldn't have happened. This would have had to have been a tie in book to the movie. You know, it would have been the giant hardcover book of justice League the movie. Oh, and here's a couple of pages talking about the comic book, but no, this is enough that it gets a book all by itself. And then of course there are two more books in this collection, one on the superheroines and one on the villains that Bob's talking about that are going to be coming out later. And I just love the idea of plumbing DC's histories for these books. So I was very, very excited that Chartwell was kind enough to send me and Shag this book. It was really cool. And it's going to sit on my shelf. And it's just fantastic to see. It's just as like 100, 100 greatest moments. I mean, it can't beat it. Yep. It's in stores now. Awesome. So our thanks again. And uh, I think that's going to do it, Rob. Yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up again. Well, big thanks to Bob Greenberger for coming on the show and doing a talk with me. That was super, super fun. And again, he's always been a great friend of the show because every time we have a question about some obscure who's who entry, I send him a question. And he not only does he remember, I mean, he'll, he'll remember why I put this here 35 years ago. He always just answers it immediately. And so we can do it on the show. And that's, that's just so much fun. It's just such a nice resource to have to be able to, to consult one of the people that actually worked on this stuff. It's just great. Incredibly patient to, you know, bother oh, with all yeah. our questions about Electric Warrior and, you know, ridiculous <laughs> stupid nitpicky nerd questions yes we're pushing up our pocket protector and glasses and bob just humors us so we appreciate it why is the wyoming king that was the yeah okay whatever <laughs> all right folks we'll be sure to hit us up on the social media uh you can find it in fire and water podcast um you can on facebook and twitter you can also find uh our, our website which is what's the website rob fire and water podcast.com yep leave your comments there on the website we'd love to hear from you guys and uh then it a lot of amazing conversations spring out of those. So please get out there, share your thoughts. And then I guess that's going to do it. Uh, Until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. The Justice League of America, the combined might and power of the Man of Steel and the Cosmic Crusader, the Winged Avenger and the King of the Sea, the Tiny Titan and the Scarlet Streak, all working together for good against evil as... The Justice League of America!